Hello everyone, I am William Coldwell, your host. I would like to say thank you again for listening to The 21st Rewrite. The 21st Rewrite is intended to be an in-depth screenwriting podcast. Whether you are a listener who is curious about how one of your favorite films was developed, or a writer or filmmaker yourself, I hope that our detailed explanations are both informative and enjoyable. In this week's episode, we are going to look at the story of the 2017 film Coco by Pixar. As usual, we will be discussing the full scope of the story, including the ending, so I do recommend that you see the film before listening. The screenplay was written by Adrian Molina and Matthew Aldrich, with additional contributions by Lee Unkrich and Jason Katz. We read the script as it was published prior to the Academy Awards, and then sat down for an in-depth discussion about the story itself. The English version of the movie starred young Anthony Gonzalez as Miguel Rivera, everyone's favorite Mexican actor, Gael Garcia Bernal as Hector, Benjamin Bratt as the famed musician Ernesto de la Cruz, and Alana Ubac as Mama Imelda. Notably, Gael Garcia also did the voiceover for the Spanish version, which starred the Mexican singer Marco Antonio Solis as Ernesto. Miguel dreams of being a musician despite the fact that his family has banned music, and during the Day of the Dead celebrations, he is transported to the afterlife to discover the secrets behind his family history. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the 21st Rewrite, the podcast where we look at a screenplay from the 21st century and the process of writing it. I'm William Coldwell, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Alan Vasquez. I'm very happy to be here because today we're going to be talking about Coco, which is our first animated film that we get to review in script form. And it's going to be a little bit different because the way most animated films, especially Pixar films, the way they're written are very different from your conventional screenplays. Also, we just kind of took a trip from Oaxaca, so it's you know, we went to one of the places that was a sort of reference for the filmmakers. So we'll be able to bring some of that firsthand experience being there with the people and the energy. So yeah, I'm excited about this podcast. And like you said, it's not written in a traditional way. Right. So we get to focus on story elements as opposed mm-hmm. to the rewrites, the, the the things that we usually look at in the 21st rewrite. It's, it tends right. to be about that process of how stories develop. Yeah. In this, uh, what I love about Coco is it's got such a strong structure, yes. mythological structure that's, mm-hmm. that's very rooted in Mexican tradition. The story itself just works so brilliantly that yes. it's worth just considering the final story just by itself as opposed to any cases of this detail being added, this detail being removed, etc. Right. right. The way that Pixar works, as far as my understanding in all the years that they've done it, is they have a story group and they just kind of hash out ideas. For example, for Coco, the story group was... Lee Unkrich, Jason Katz, Matthew Eldridge, and Adrian Molina. So these group of four, they didn't necessarily write the script, but they were in this room sort of exploring different themes, different story arcs, different characters. And so they, I believe the film uh, took about six years from its original conception to the final edit. So that's like six years of research, of developing story, casting the voice actors, doing all the animation. So this is a very much longer process than most films. Usually most films take a few months to shoot and a year 
overall written to like final form. So this is like a long labor of love. And I think it really shows because there's so much detail in this film and they added so much Mexican culture and very unashamedly so, you know, they didn't try to, I never for once thought they were trying to whitewash anything. I felt like it was very authentic. Obviously it was in English, but they always used whatever opportunity to add like Mexican slang or some mm -hmm. Spanish words, which I really it, like. It's essentially written in Spanglish. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. There's probably a Spanish word in pretty much every line of dialogue. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that it adds some flavor. It does. Yeah. yeah. It's very true to form. And, and that is, that is my favorite thing is watching it. I think I, everyone felt the same way from the Mexican culture is that it, it rang true. We recognized it and we didn't feel like it was fake in any way. And I think, you know, all those years of research really helped. Yeah. So film. we're going to have two different perspectives on this. Mm -hmm. uh, you come from a Mexican background. Yeah. Grown up in the US. Yes. And my credentials are that I have a BA in Hispanic studies from mm -hmm. the University of Bristol. I'm now part of a Latin family. Mm. But, uh, you know, I didn't grow up with this culture either. Right. I've, I've, I'm a student of it, as it were. We've come to it from different places. Yes. But I also feel like this story is, it's really important and it's really universal as well. So even though it's lifting up Mexican culture, it's also got a lot of universal themes. Yeah. Because it's resonated with audiences yeah. around the world, it seems. Yeah. It hasn't been limited to success just with, with Mexicans, which is great. Right. That's absolutely true. And I think that the other country where it was, you know, one of the top grossing films was China. So in China, it made tons of money. And mm -hmm. I can see why, because I think China has a deeply rooted thing about ancestors. It's a cultural thing. There's that whole theme about family and those that came before you and honoring those that came before you and remembering those that came before you. That resonates with the Chinese audience as well. They have their own version of it. Yeah, it's, I think the idea of family is what resonated across the world. I think for me, when I watched it, I really thought, I watched it in the theater, and I really thought it was going to be about this kid and his pursuit of music. That's really what I felt when I first started watching it. And a part of me was, okay, I feel like we've been down this road before, but okay, let's go. And halfway through realizing that it had nothing really to do with that, it ended up being about family. And that was my biggest surprise because I thought it was going to be about a kid who was going to defy his family and pursue his dream, which is kind of what it was about too. But I didn't expect the sort of twist of him really discovering his close ties to his family, like what family really means. So that was really, really nice. And I think that's the resonant part. Absolutely. Yeah, where, where should we, be? should we begin at the very beginning? Who yeah. is Miguel? Yeah, let's start with, yeah, Miguel, I think, like music, which is kind of the ironic thing, because music is so important, I think, in many countries. But in Mexico, music is a very important thing. So I think it was interesting for them to create a family that hates music or they, they're closed off to music. Yeah, and Miguel even says he's he thinks they're the only family in Mexico right, that yeah. hates music. Once the story progresses and we do eventually find out why they don't like music. So Miguel is a young kid who doesn't fit in with his family because he's being asked to follow in, you know, his parents' footsteps and in the family business. And that is a very popular thing. I think that's a popular thing in all countries, but in Mexico, family business, like that's something super sacred. And that's something that without question, obviously the next generation is going to follow up on. 
true for my family for mm-hmm. sure i don't know if i'm gonna do that <laughs> but I, you have you have worked with your dad yeah like it, I it was still, still always yeah. assumed that you would um of course unless you find something else that you go off to do it's, it's like this cultural default is you do right. what your parents did yeah and that's still very much alive and we saw that in oaxaca as well to the point that entire villages have become specialized in certain crafts and trades right because it's like an extended family in a way mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a larger community mm-hmm. and so you have one town that does mezcal and then the next one does rugs and then the next one does clay pottery and there's all these specializations and you talk to the people that work there and yeah how did they learn how to do their trade they learned it from their parents who learned it from their parents and it just goes back yeah. the roots are firmly planted there yeah and i think it's a it's a sign of respect for you to just continue you know you obviously you respect your family so that's like your family's legacy i think there's a lot of identifying your the legacy of your family with the product that you're putting out there it's almost like a sense of pride sense mm-hmm. of ownership for being proud for what you do which in this case is shoemaking yeah the rivera family is all about making shoes and and i know that the filmmakers actually went to a specific shoemaking workshop i don't know where in mexico but they did and they spent time with that family and they got a lot of information that way the same with the alebrijes they went to a workshop in oaxaca or near oaxaca city it's jose maria angeles right yes yeah yeah so they own a shop which now has become much more popular because of this film but it's in a small town outside yeah, of business Oaxaca. is booming for of them course now. yes which which is really great i mean they kind of hit the lottery in that sense yeah and then you know they also checked out this place where they did papel picado which is the the colorful paper that's constantly shown in the film the opening sequence is exactly done entirely in in papel picado yeah and that's one of those lovely things that pixar does so well it always does these wonderful intro sequences mm-hmm. where they boil things down to the most basic elements necessary and give you this huge sense of background and setting yes the setting of the story so you already feel like you're in that world and they they really use all these abstract tools to do that and yeah. this this particular one was lovely it it incorporated the visual iconography yeah. of Day of the Dead, which is beautiful. Yeah, it was very creative. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I found out in doing a little bit of research that they had an entirely different opening for years that was there until they took it out because it was a little too much. But the original opening was a song that was explaining kind of what Day of the Dead was. So it was an introduction song and... It was sort of setting up the Rivera family. Pretty much everything that that opening that you just explained did. Yeah. But much longer and with music. And then they realized that that wasn't really working for them because of length or just pacing. So they decided to creatively put it there faster and without having to explain to the audience too much. Yeah, I think the Day of the Dead explanation, when it does come is done nicely because it's the abuela Mm -hmm. telling miguel Mm -hmm. you you remember those kind of moments in childhood when you're kind of old enough now to learn about this right and that's where miguel is he's at that age where his 
personality is shining through his yeah. desires in life are shining through yeah. but he's still being taught things his his family is still trying to mold him in some way teach him the customs teach him the way of their family tradition and everything is is yeah. happening and she shows him the ofrenda and he's actually trying to sneak away at that point but right you know that's that's a nice easy explanation of what's going on is done at that stage yeah so, it's done much more organically yeah. that way for sure I think the other way would have really pandering too much. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad they got rid of that. And another thing that they got rid of, because this is like years and years of sort of trial and error. So they actually have the liberty to create different versions of the story without having to shoot it and light it and waste money on it. They can actually storyboard it and do it pretty cheaply and they get start getting a sense of okay this is working this is not working like i said it's a completely different way of creating a story and making a film and one of the ideas that also was there for a while was that hector was going to be a tour guide in the day of the dead and so when miguel got to the city of the dead he was going to be there to explain the whole rules of that world which is mm -hmm. in this city of the dead the people that inhabit the city are only there until the people in the land of the living stop remembering them. So Day of the Dead, you put an ofrenda, which you put pictures of your ancestors. And the minute that you no longer put a picture of someone, that person disappears from the land of the dead. So they go on to whatever's next, which the film never explains what that is which is great because yeah so they, <laughs> they create this it's, it's a pixar version of yeah. day of the dead that is they have created their own rules for the land of yeah, the dead. yeah the land of the yeah. dead is a pixar invention of, right it's an adaptation of what yes. the, the traditional belief is into this new concept which is basically that all these souls are going on living correct in the land of the dead until they're forgotten on earth and then they really die yeah and even the people in the land of the dead don't know what it's like to die in that world yeah so it's almost like an in-between world mm -hmm. you know they're not i mean they're dead but they're still in connection with the land of the living and mm -hmm. they get to cross over to the land of the living every year on day of the dead that day of the dead is built on these very ancient foundations mm -hmm. pre-columbian specifically what we'd call mesoamerican mm -hmm. religions and they had a different concept of life. It's, it's kind of similar to reincarnation. Mm -hmm. But essentially, the individual life was not considered as important and as final as it is in a Christian society where you have your own individual life and then your judgment at the end. Right. And then you have heaven or hell. Right. And within their conception of the universe, life was something that was given by the gods and creation was given but life had to be given back to the gods mm. through sacrifice and things like that but then these spirits could then become reincarnated again the the world would be destroyed and reinvented destroyed and reinvented right um for as as long as the universe would ever exist it seemed yeah um and there were different ways you could die as well and uh dying in certain ways would get you your spirit to become part of the sun and that was the highest honor so that was for warriors and mm. people that died in certain sacrifices and mothers that died giving birth and things like that mm. but these beliefs obviously 
when the Spanish took over, they tried to impose Catholicism across the entire country. But with All Saints Day, which is about the time that Day of the Dead actually happens, some of these older traditions, they seem to have formed some sort of symbiosis with Catholicism to some degree. Obviously, ideas of sacrifice are gone, but the idea of altars and offerings for the dead still remain. Right. And you're leaving offerings for people, and the idea is that they're going to cross back over and come visit again. Right. And so each of the towns in, in Oaxaca, they, I think around Mitla, they even believe that it's the place where all of the dead in the world come. Oh, every single So one. all the dead people in the world go to that town. <laughs> <laughs> so that I don't know if they've done the, the maths on how many people that will be, but it's right. going to be a lot of people descending on this town every, <laughs> yeah, every year. Yeah, that sounds insane. But these are, I mean, these are very important beliefs and traditions mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they they do create a connection to the past. It, it allows someone to, and a whole family, to situate itself in a place it gives a meaning to life that I think is partially lost in, in other societies. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of celebrating death is not common. Whenever someone thinks about a, just a general funeral here, it's just very somber and black, and yeah. which is understandable. And even though I'm Mexican, I did not grow up with Day of the Dead. You know, my religious upbringing was not Catholic. It was different than that. So I think that's also partly Catholic, and because of my religion, Day of the Dead was something we weren't allowed to partake of. So it's something that I've only recently fully been able to absorb and discover in a new way. And I think this film really pushed me to discover it even more intimately in our trip to Oaxaca. But I love it. I love the idea of taking the time to remember those before you and to celebrate their life. It's not a, it's not a sad thing. And I think in Spain, I was talking to someone that's from Spain, and they have pretty much the same thing over there, but their way of celebrating it is much more tame and not as lively, and it's not a celebration. It's exactly. more of a because it didn't have this symbiosis with the uh, Mesoamerican traditions. Right. Yeah. So that they just had the the, the more. I mean, even that tradition, the All Saints tradition in Catholicism was probably mixed with some previous beliefs that were in Europe mm -hmm. as well before Christianity became the official religion of what was then the Roman Empire and then yeah. future future countries. But yeah, obviously in Mexico it's it's had this adaptation. Really it's one of the unique cultural heritages of the world and that's yeah. why it's so wonderful that a film was was set in this time. Because mm -hmm. they could have said, we want to do a film set in Mexico, and that would have been fine. But this is specifically giving a very important position to a tradition that wasn't really being recognized yeah. in, in the way it will be now, I think. I think Day of the Dead is going to spread around the world. Yeah, I kind of have that <laughs> feeling of too. enthusiasm for this film, yeah. Actually, yeah, I have that same feeling of just sort of, it's almost like a ripple effect now that this, this idea was planted, the seed was planted in people who had no knowledge of this festivity and just the idea of celebrating the dead and kind of taking away a sort of sadness to it. I think mm -hmm. that's a shift in perspective, which is pretty profound. But I do think the way the film celebrates it, the way it presents it, is very joyful and very infectious that I think people around the world might 
reconsider just the idea of death in general. So that's really exciting. I really like that. And I think for me personally, I know I want to bring that tradition to my own family whenever I do have a family. Because I do think that I think it is something important to remember those that came before you and, and paying respect and celebrating that because we are the sum of that. So there's something special about that. Miguel wants to be a musician. His family is yeah. opposing him. And Miguel's going to go on this hero's journey into the world of the dead. Yeah. The initial thing that sets him off on this journey is he wants to enter a talent competition. Mm-hmm. He's practicing guitar. He's, he's got the musician spirit. He's studying Ernesto de la Cruz. And he's got this mm-hmm. little altar of his own hidden up. <laughs> yeah. That only he and, and Dante know about. Mm-hmm. Um, Dante being the, the street dog who, street who dog. follows him. And Dante's name is symbolic as well. Dante was a, an Italian author, medieval author, who um, wrote a famous poem called The Divine Comedy in which he visits the world of the dead. And oh, so he goes into hell and he describes the layers of hell. And it's a big philosophical work of fiction, essentially. So that's who Dante is named after. Interesting. I didn't know that. I kind of assumed that, well, I mean, the dog is a cholo dog, which is a Mexican breed and I, one of the filmmakers was saying that the dog kind of looks like a volcano mm-hmm. you know because he's kind of like black and then it's just got a piece of hair yeah. on top <laughs> that looks just like lava spewing out but i didn't know that that's really cool he's he's one of the best uh piece of character design that i think yeah. pixar has done and his alabrije form with these yes. little the, these the little, little wings wing. yeah. that somehow keep him afloat <laughs> yeah no yeah. I, lo- I love the whole design on him and yeah, so, you know, he has this altar to um, Ernesto de la Cruz, who has a resemblance to Pedro Infante, which is a, uh, a Mexican actor from the golden era of Mexican cinema, which was also the 40s. And I mean, they really used every opportunity to put a lot of Mexican references there. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of references there. I mean, yeah. Rivera is possibly a reference to Diego Rivera, who is... Right. He was the most famous Mexican artist until modern society has kind of reconsidered Frida Kahlo, who was his wife, as being the most important Mexican artist. But during their actual lifetimes, Diego was much more famous. Right. I liked seeing in the the big party when you have people from all different societies of the dead kind of attending this huge party. Right. Uh, that there were some Aztecs there and things like that. You also had Cantinflas there, who's also, uh, he was mostly a comedian, a Mexican comedian, really mm-hmm. famous. That was their top guy yeah. for a good while. Yeah. So he was there at that party too. I noticed his uh, signature mustache. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, everything from the designs too, they kind of got a little bit of everything the the main place where where he first goes to uh when he first gets to the city of the dead it's this huge building and it's modeled after postal office in mexico city which is this huge building really really architecturally really stunning and they modeled this building in the city of the dead after that even some pyramids from Montalban was that that design was in there as well yeah, I noticed in the those, background. Yeah. Uh, the the cemetery, so the main shrine to Ernesto de la Cruz. 
some of that was designed after a lot of the church's uh, architecture was also used for that. So like little things, I really think they really took the time to make this hybrid, infuse everything, but it all makes sense. It's not too stylistically different from each other. And they just created this really beautiful world. One of the things also when he gets to the, uh, the city of the dead is that there is a place where some of the people are being forgotten. So there is this portion of the city where it's very different from the rest of the city of the dead. So it's almost like the slums mm -hmm. of the city of the dead. And this is where we meet Hector, which is a guy who wants to cross over to the land of the living because he knows that his family is forgetting him. So he wants to remind them somehow. He, or he wants to see them for the last time, I think. There are definitely some symbolic representations of what contemporary Mexican life is like in yes. the land of the dead. So first of all, you have this kind of slum area where there's people who are forgotten. Yeah. And that's one of the most shocking things when you cross to Mexico from where we live in San Diego. When you cross into Tijuana, that is what you will first see because there's this accumulation of desperate people living around the border wishing to cross into the US. And there's, I think that's a symbolic nod towards those kind of people. Interesting. The people who are being ignored or forgotten by society. There is still severe poverty in Mexico. Oh, yes. But family is one of the things that kind of protects Mexican society from worse poverty, as it were, because you, you do have big families where everyone takes care of each other or you have these villages where especially around day of the dead you know they're sharing gifts and offerings with each other and everyone's getting all their stuff together when they have weddings people are contributing things to weddings in, as opposed yes. to expecting the bride and groom to pay for everything and you go along for this yes. party like yeah, instead yeah. it's this communal thing where people bring right. things with them give gifts and then they expect to have the same thing when they get married yeah and some people even keep track of what they're what they're getting and yeah it, <laughs> so that they know what to give to that person when they get married right you keep tabs of like yeah, you know what exactly. do you give me i'm going to give back to you yeah. type of situation and, and you're right there's all these and it's a lot of people from what we've gathered from the conversations we had over there is the fact that it's the whole town showing up basically mm -hmm. these small little villages it's Everyone knows each other. So, of course, everyone's going to the wedding type of thing. Yeah. yeah. The second most symbolic thing for me is the, the border. The mm. border between the land of the living and the dead. Yeah. This is something that will resonate a lot more with Mexican-Americans as opposed to Mexicans who just live in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Because it's very, very reminiscent of the U.S. border itself. Yeah. This idea of, do you have anything to declare? Do you have the right to cross in? and to cross out, yeah. and do you have family waiting for you here? All of this stuff, it's, there's this sense that there's this bureaucracy right. in order to leave the land of the dead and return to the land of the living. And it's, yeah. it's, it's very much modeled on, I mean, a more appropriate for children, definitely, version of what the, the US border is oh, like. Yeah. It's a lot more funny and friendly than than the real one, but so in that yeah, which is not very accurate representation mm -hmm. of which is probably why I didn't make that connection. But yes, now that you mention it, I can mm -hmm. totally see that. But for a lot of people of Mexican descent, that is a big aspect of their life. Is yeah. in especially where we live, crossing back and forth and 
if if something happens right now there's there's stuff in the news about the uh the migrant caravan it affects the border right. it affects people it affects families ability to to travel and see each other and things yeah it can cause chaos so but i think that was a symbolic representation of that i think pixar likes to give children the tools to understand different things about mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm Toy Story was really good at this as well. The idea of growing up and things like that. They they teach you through their their very metaphorical stories about things about yeah. the real world. And I think this this border between the living and the dead, I think, is meant to be it's meant to be a tool for kids who are growing up in the US and they're they're seeing this and they're seeing a fantasy version of it where it's not so bad. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is also kind of, um, what's the word, uh, false advertisement. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but you're right. That's good. They are very good at that. I think another one of that in here is death. Mm-hmm. I think what a wonderful tool for a kid to be able to, if a little kid is going through someone dying in the family, what better way than to maybe get some tools from this film? Yeah, and celebrates it. Yeah, when November comes around, you're going to have this this day where you get to celebrate that person's life. Right. You get you get to have a day of remembrance. Yeah, it's a wonderful tool to cope with something like that because then Mm -hmm. it it takes the edge off of it just being well, I'm never going to see this person again, Mm -hmm. and kind of gives them a more practical, emotional tool to sort of shift the perspective as to how to approach something like that. So yeah, no, it's a great gift for kids. Absolutely. So, next in the story. Yeah, well, Miguel, yeah, he's this mythological hero, yes. as it were. He's, he's the one who's able to cross between the living and the dead. No one else can do this. The dead can right. come to the land of the living for Day of the Dead, for the, the one celebration, but they can't communicate with the living. They're simply there in spirit. Right. Miguel can actually cross over, talk to them. He scares everyone when they first see him. He's, he's known as the living boy. Yes. Word gets around quickly that he's that he's within the land of the dead. But what he he discovers is this mirror image of the society he was in when he was living. Mm, mm-hmm. So he ends up here because he steals the guitar from the tomb of Ernesto. Right. Who he believes is his great great grandfather at the time because of something that Coco says. She's not very cognizant. She's ninety seven, I think the yeah. age is given in the script. As 97. Because yeah, it's not clarified in the film. but Right, right. Yeah. She's but really she, old. She's really old. Yeah. She's losing her memory. People, she she doesn't call Miguel by his own name. Um, <laughs> right. This resonated a lot with me because my grandmother is in, she's not quite there yet, but she's 92 and she's forgetting a lot of things. Mm. And like our last dinner we had together, it was, it was quite similar, repeating things and Right. And finding it hard to, but at the same time, with the moments when she recognized that we were there and we were eating together and that I'd come all the way from America to see her and everything, and her eyes just lit up and she was so excited. And it, it's, such a, it's such a difficult thing to watch in a way. So Coco reminded me a lot of that as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely something, again, it's like I said, Pixar gives kids the tools to to understand these things about the world, to understand yeah. childhood and adulthood and old age and death and everything, the whole circle of life. 
Yeah. And Miguel gets to be the, the kid that will kind of take them on this journey by being able to cross over into the, the world of the dead. Yes. Yeah. So we're seeing everything from his perspective and, and we're with him, you know, with uh, his change in priorities because he's there because he wants to get to Ernesto de la Cruz mm-hmm. because he's convinced that this is his grandfather and he wants his blessing because he wants to be a great musician just like him. So when he first gets to the City of the Dead, he's very much in a selfish pursuit of his own ambition. First of all, there's the the mirror image of his family. So he meets mm. Mama Imelda and, and all yeah. the other family members, but they aren't, they're not going to give him the blessing right. where he can be a musician. They still have the exact same ideas right, as right. his family did back right. in the land of the living of no music. We're this family, we only make shoes, no music. Yeah. And that's what drives him crazy because he's mm-hmm. he can't understand why his family won't support him. And this is one of the hardest things about this. His family shows him so much love and they care for him so much, but the one thing they won't understand is who he wants to be mm-hmm. and they won't support that. Yeah, it's a very Mexican thing. Like anything out of the norm is automatically dangerous and something to be slightly wary of or really wary of. And another thing I forgot to mention, which is La Abuelita, the grandmother, beginning of the film using her chancla. I mean, that is mm-hmm. just very accurate yeah. <laughs> representation of what a Mexican grandmother, a mother usually threatens you with, and which d- is a chancla. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's purely matriarchal, the whole, oh, the yeah. whole thing. So in the also land of the living, accurate. you've got Abuela. She's in charge. Yeah. Miguel's dad is not in charge of anything. He Miguel could convince his dad that he wants to be a musician. Is like, no, Abuela doesn't want you to. And the exact <laughs> right. same thing is happening in the land of the dead. Yeah. The Mama Imelda, she's the one who's been scorned by her musician husband. Right. Who is the father of Coco. Yes, that is very much true in at least my Mexican family is the men are really not the leaders they're not the ones at the top of the food chain it's definitely the mom mm-hmm. for sure my grandmother is pretty much the abuelita in in coco very firm she's the really religious one so she keeps her whole she's got five uh daughters five sons so she's you know keeps everyone in check so yeah it, it's it's a very mexican thing the the grandmother and then the mother and usually the dads come off really strong in the beginning you know when it's just like i think they start kind of uh losing their their power at like age 40 yeah <laughs> and then the mothers just completely take over <laughs> so yeah so now he's in the uh the land of the dead and mm-hmm. he wants to get to ernesto de la cruz and so he, he runs away from his family he runs away from his family they will not give him their blessing and so he meets Hector, who wants to get to the land of the living to, to see his daughter one more time. And so they kind of uh, exchange favors. It turns out that Hector is a really good friend of Ernesto de la Cruz. And in return... He claims to be, yeah. Claims to be. And so he's going to help Miguel get to Ernesto de la Cruz. And in return, Miguel is going to put up his picture up in ofrenda. So he doesn't disappear. Yeah, so he can cross over. So he can cross over, right. And Hector thinks it's his last chance as well. Yes. So he's he's really keen on just taking any opportunity he can get. And Miguel is 
Yeah. It seems like his last option because he's been caught at this at the border. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And he's not he's not allowed to cross even despite his disguise of, of being Frida Kahlo. It doesn't yeah. fool anyone. Yeah, no, he, he tries and he it doesn't work. And I think one of the other things that Pixar did really well in the story is that they introduced us to this character who's disappearing and is a really good friend of Hector's. And so we as an audience witness what happens to you when mm-hmm. your family no longer remembers you. And it's a very sort of sad moment in the film where Miguel gets to witness this character disappear. Like he can no longer be in the city of it, the dead. It's just, really interesting, isn't yeah. it? Because it, it creates these two levels of death. Right. So you have, you have the, the land of the dead where you basically are alive but dead. Right. And then you have something else that is a beyond that even the people who live in the land of the dead don't know, don't know what, it, know is. what yeah. it is. So it's it's a really interesting philosophical idea, I think, behind the whole yeah. the whole movie. It allows them to address the idea of finality and death without ruining the idea of the story where you can cross over between these two worlds and you can go on living. It really puts all of the emphasis on memory. Yeah. Yeah. Because memory is the key to not fully dying. Right. And that kind of ties into this whole idea of history, and this whole idea of art, and why do people do things? Why do people create things? Mm-hmm. It's so that you leave some sort of legacy so that people remember you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and, and it kind of made me think then, it, let's say hypothetically this is true, and this is happening, like you would probably have Julius Caesar there forever because, you know, we're constantly remembering him. And it's just, you're right, it, it, it does touch upon legacy. That's what I mean about that big party, uh, Ernesto's party, Right. is that there's a few Aztecs there. And there are a few Aztecs whose names we know, like Moctezuma, right. Cuauhtémoc. Right. There are various Aztec leaders who are still kind of remembered today. But yeah. the vast majority of mesoamericans would be gone now that, that oh, they've yeah. all been long forgotten right in in that world of the dead so the world of the dead is mainly made up of people who are kind of the grandparents great grandparents uh, great uncles and so on of mm-hmm. great aunts of of people who are still on earth yeah. but there's a few that seem to have kind of gained legendary status and will probably stay in that land for a very long time. Which begs the question, what if they don't want to be there anymore? They want to go into the beyond. They're just trapped there forever. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> but it seems like quite a big party. In the it's not, the it looks so, fun. So yeah, yeah maybe yeah. It's, it, it works out for them. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think legacy is one thing that's touched upon too. And just sort of, like you mentioned, memory is, is a powerful thing. You know, as long as they're being remembered, they're alive and it's yeah. true and it's true in, in real life like as long as you remember the people that came into your life that are no longer here to an extent they are still their presence is still being felt because they're in your thoughts and there's a chemical reaction that happens there like technically they're still here in some mm-hmm. form so and that I, allows I like that. that allows all of the suspense in the movie to depend on the single brain of one person which is coco and her brain oh, yeah. Yeah. Being able to continue to remember who her father was, just remember anything about him. Mm. That, that is the central kind of point of suspense for, throughout the movie because she will be the only one who can keep Hector alive in the end. Right. Yeah. And it's all up to Coco. Yeah. 
and her last fading brain cells, yeah. basically. And, and Miguel with the power to get her right. to remember. Because no one else knows about this story. Everyone wants to put it to bed. It's like, don't talk about that musician. Don't talk about the past. Mm-hmm. Everyone in their family wants it to be. For, that's, that's the harshest uh, fact about the situation for Hector. And I know we're kind of jumping ahead with the reveal of who he really is, but everyone who listens to this spoiler alert has, has, has seen Coco. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but that, like that's the harshest fact about Hector's existence is that it's his own family that wants to erase him because he was betrayed and he never got to go back and tell them. And right. he, he would have returned right. and he was killed too soon. So it, it's yeah. so beautifully orchestrated and just all of the the plot points, the way that it ties together. Because there's different layers to it. There's different perspectives. Because in the family, I feel like Coco obviously remembers her dad, but very little because he died when she was really young. So mm-hmm. the abuelita wouldn't even know how this guy looks like or sound like. So this mm-hmm. family is literally has no recollection. Miguel coming back with that legacy of Hector and mm-hmm. his family discovering that. I mean, I can only imagine like if there was a family member in my family that I had no idea who he was mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden being presented with his his or her story would be beautiful because then that's honoring them, remembering who they were, what they were. And it's his, his chance at not redemption because he didn't abandon his family. He was, like you said, betrayed. And he was actually... He, he gets a second chance though. He gets a second, gets chance, a second chance to chance, tell right. his story. And yeah. I didn't see the twist coming the first time that I watched it at all. I didn't see it coming at all. I thought, yeah, no. I, I, I thought it was going to be Ernesto de la Cruz yeah. right from the beginning. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's his, he's related to him. And then when Miguel makes that assumption, I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, I was right. So they did it so well because they lead you into believing this one thing. Right. And they set then, you up for yeah, that. And then you, you do fully believe it yeah. to the point that the twist will really hit you hard when, when it comes along. Yeah, no, I love it when a film just kind of surprises me because it, it gets harder and harder for a film to surprise you because so much has been done. And that's a, I think the surprise also comes from the fact you think, oh, it's, it's Pixar, it's a kid's movie. It's, but it's, they just have a way with storytelling that is yeah. so remarkable. And it, this works so well and to the point that you, you do underestimate it. You think, oh, it's a kid's movie. It's going to follow a basic plot. This, right. has, this has a lot of layers. Yeah. And I, I like how it goes into like the the melodrama territory a little bit because at one point you have Miguel saying like no you know Ernesto de la Cruz tried to murder him mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're talking about murder and like sort of uh, intrigue I think they were almost making fun of it in their own way kind of like mm-hmm. a novella which is also a very Mexican thing mm-hmm. and they're you know the way they're sort of discussing the whole because it could be a little ridiculous saying that out loud yeah he killed me or whatever it gets into that melodrama in a kids film. Mm-hmm. But they make fun of it and they make it kind of novella-ish, which is also true to the Mexican culture. So I think it all works. You know, it all yeah. fits perfectly. Like you say, it has very different layers. That kind of ties in. My favorite joke in the whole movie is when, uh, I think Mama Amanda says this. She says, that musician is dead to me. And Miguel says, aren't you guys already dead? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, I think Mama Imelda brings that melodrama. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. She's the, the one that is the source of all of that. And she's like a woman scorned. Like, obviously, she's very bitter about it. She still hasn't forgiven him in that world. Mm-hmm. And it takes little Miguel to change that. 
I yeah, think Miguel yeah. is, is going to right all of the wrongs that happened in this right. family. He's going to settle all of the old differences. He's going to bring those two together. Mm-hmm. And it is so lovely when they do, when they are together again and kind of working together and, and taking down Ernesto. Ernesto, um, yeah. And I like the fact that he was killed by a bell crushing him during a performance yeah like i don't know beginning. if there's a i don't know the exact symbolism behind that one or i don't the, think there was the, if there's a story behind it or if they just thought it was funny i thought it, i think it they just thought funny. it was funny because it really was really funny when i first saw it i didn't mm-hmm. expect that yeah he died from and there's there's all this is one of the best things about the way the story is told there's always a mirror image to every point mm. and he obviously gets crushed again at right. the, by a, another bell yeah and yeah they they have this wonderful way of reflecting that there's a talent show which Miguel then goes and enters in the land of the dead to go and meet Ernesto and in the land of the living he was going to go into a talent yeah. show but he yeah. didn't have his guitar his family was standing in his way this time he's with Hector right. who teaches him how to find himself that's like the key moment of the film for for Miguel to he finds his own identity thanks mm-hmm. to Hector teaching him no you have to yell yeah what, what's your grito That's yeah says, exactly you, know? like you have to you have to learn how to yell let yeah. it out and um another great instructional moment from pixar to to young children it's learn who you are learn your identity try and don't shy away and hide it just try and release it into the world and yeah. see, make something beautiful with it and that's a great thing about the miguel character because he was all about that from the beginning and we constantly see him even in in the the scene where he's about to perform for the first time you know he's a little nervous about it but he quickly just goes for it and i think that's such a great lesson to show young kids like you say it's just go for it just embrace it and go and i think miguel is a perfect example of that i feel like sometimes in other films the characters really take a long time to learn their lessons which is also fine but in this story i like this kid's character you know he just kind of goes for it and yeah he stumbles and falls but he picks himself up fairly quickly and i think that's a great example for little kids one of the things i love about children's films is that they also address this idea that kids know more than the adults around them and Miguel embodies that spirit as well he he knows more than the adults around him and I I I just think that's so wonderful he's the one who has to teach them this is what family is about you're supposed to be supporting me they're they're the ones who are (laughs) supposedly like the great-great-grandmother Imelda she's meant to be the matriarch she's meant to be the one keeping the family together and it takes a kid to notice where she's gone wrong and what she's doing wrong and point it out to her. And that's what it's like to be a child at that age. I don't know yeah. what age Miguel is meant to be. It's somewhere in the range of seven to 11, something yeah. like that kind of age yeah, range, yeah. right? That seems about right. Uh, he's not a teenager yet, I don't no. think. And at that age, kids are able to just point out obvious truths that adults don't want to accept. Yeah. And a lot of good children's fiction is based on these protagonists who are around the same age as the children who are reading it and they're the ones who are seeing the world seeing all the evil bad people the the villains to take down seeing who are the heroes who to emulate and being really open and clear-minded about what to do and it's great it's instructional how to navigate life yeah because there's like an innocence to a child's perspective they're still not polluted by First Mm -hmm. of all, adolescence and then whatever comes after that. They're seeing everything almost like in its pure form. 
Exactly. And they do yeah. speak the truth because they don't know how to lie yet. So it's a very pure perspective and we do get to see that world through through Miguel's eyes, who's yeah. our main protagonist. Yeah. So once Miguel gets into the the big party, yeah. And he plays his guitar and everyone turns around and then he falls in the pool. Ernesto de la Cruz saves him. Mm-hmm. He gets lifted up again and then they have this bonding moment. Mm-hmm. And there's this tenderness and sweetness with which he, he grabs onto his, who he believes is his great-grandfather right. around, around the head and neck. And there's just this sweet tenderness, that moment. And they just they, the animators have got this perfectly right on, on how a happy kid looks and yeah. everything like that. And then you see them bonding, but he's actually being led into this trap. He's being deceived. And it takes Hector to turn up to reveal the first part of where this is going wrong. And then De La Cruz, he's already dead. <laughs> yeah. He could do anything with the information that he gets in that, that, that big confrontation between him and Hector when they start to realize that he poisoned him. Mm. There's a million ways he could have acted and he decides to try and basically murder him again <laughs> and murder Miguel, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So he's, <laughs> we can tell at that point he's a real villain. He clearly did something really bad in the past, which is to kill Hector in the land of the living. Mm-hmm. But then the fact he will not change, the fact he's going to go on this way, he's become the, the worst villain imaginable at that yeah. point yeah i mean he'd even try to murder a little kid i mean there's yeah. no yeah that's not yeah nothing stands in the way and ernesto was a, a role model to miguel because right he's always saying things like you've got to seize your moment don't let anything stand in your way but mm. it also shows you that there's limits to what that is there's a limit to seizing your moment and also what it meant to him mm-hmm. yeah for him, for Ernesto de la Cruz, seizing your moment meant getting anyone who stands in your way out, which is not how Miguel took it mm-hmm. from his perspective. But you could see how that could apply for either something really good or something really bad. Well, yeah, you don't know when he's saying it, that he's hiding such sinister deeds right, <laughs> in right. his past. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that, again, it teaches morality in some way. It teaches this idea of well, where is the the line? Mm-hmm. Where are the limits of, of ambition? There's a difference between wanting to be your best possible self mm-hmm. and taking out anyone who might stand in your way or, or make you jealous or be better than you or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, and I think, that, I think that's the turning point for Miguel too. I think that's the point he... It's almost like a disillusion. Everything that he was striving for everything he wanted to be it just disappears mm-hmm. right in front of him and he ends up in that underground cave with Hector yeah and that's when it's revealed to Miguel that actually to both of them yeah they come to realize that they're actually family yeah this and scene is wonderful yes it's kind of a limbo it's a place where they don't know if they can get out they don't know how long they but they do know they're both gonna die if they're there for too long right because Hector's going to be forgotten and Miguel's not going to be able to get back to the land of the living so they both will die. Right. And yeah, yeah. it's very, it's such a nice intimate place for them to then have that conversation and then that realization of who Hector really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's I think, 
it's almost like the death of Miguel Stream and sort of like a rebirth of sorts because mm -hmm. all of a sudden now he really cares about his family. Now mm -hmm. he becomes really excited about his family and it becomes only about that. It, mm -hmm. He's no longer wanting a blessing for his music. Like he wants to reunite the memory of his grandfather with Coco or his great grandfather. So great, now, great grandfather. Great grandfather. Yeah. yeah. So he now want now his mission is to get to Coco to remember Hector. Mm -hmm. That becomes his mission. Yeah. So then it shifts. His hero's journey takes a turn. So yeah. he no longer wants the music. He wants this. But through helping Coco and having that experience with Coco and having that whole revelation about his family, I think that revitalizes his music. So in a mm -hmm. way, it 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 actually amplifies that passion which we see in the closing scene you know in his full glory with his suit and everything yeah so i think that's wonderful you know he had to shift his focus from music and shift it to family and through that he rediscovers music because i'm yeah. sure after the that, right kind of music the, that's yeah. the thing he's no longer emulating the wrong role model he's got this value base he's going to write all the wrongs Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of mythological structure underlying this mm -hmm. um, this story, and it's done so well mm -hmm. for that reason. That scene is the first one. In this film, there's two big tear-jerking scenes. That's yeah. the first one. Yes. The second one comes towards the end, obviously. There's a big deus ex machina moment with uh, Mama Imelda coming down on the Alebrije. Oh, yeah. Which is called Pepita, I believe. The, Pepita. The giant yes. jaguar eagle. Yes, the <laughs> fucking epic. Yes, epic yeah. alebrije. The most monstrous alebrije imaginable. Because this is coming directly from the, the Zapotec mythology here. So the most powerful beasts are the eagle and the jaguar. Yeah. Dante is just a little dog. <laughs> with little wings. Yeah, with little wings. But um, Pepita is full force of oh, yeah. uh, all the the most powerful spirit animals in that tradition which is really cool as well because yeah. they they show various alebrijes mm -hmm. frida has a monkey yeah and there's an interesting one in the slum area where it's like a frog rabbit or something <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah it makes like a weird like, noise yeah. <laughs> i remember that one yeah but uh, this this combination because you can have these combinations of yeah. various different animals so right it's cool how some of them really don't look like they'd survive long in in a darwinian <laughs> form of nature but <laughs> yeah and no, that's cool it's got a it's original yeah yeah so yeah so um, so they get lifted out they're right. saved but then they still that's not the end of the story it's no. not enough to be like Okay, Miguel, you can go back because Hector's picture is with right is with Ernesto de la Cruz. Yeah. So Miguel has to go after him now, and this time he's going to have his whole family behind him. Yeah, that that was also everyone's a great learned thing. the truth now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So now they're fighting as a family. Mm -hmm. So they're a team, and they go after Ernesto de la Cruz in a very like entertaining, action-packed sort of end there. That's also very humorous. I love the moment where, you know, they're trying to crash his big performance on stage and Mama Imelda ends up being like swept up into the stage and oh, she yeah, ends up the, it's singing and fantastic uh, uh, yeah. showpiece. She's the one who's wanted to reject music her whole right. life. Right. And it comes out a little bit when she wanted to show Miguel that she was serious about that she knew about music. She she tried to sing to him a bit, but she didn't quite get it. She didn't quite get what he was asking for. She was still res resilient to it. But then 
once the family's been reunited and there's all this this lovely play between her and Hector where they're she's meant to still hate him but oh, yeah. she's starting to realize she can't really hate him now because everything she hated him for for it's abandoning the family is not true anymore right she realizes what's happened and it's just going to be her pride that will yeah that's the last thing and then they can be together again which is also very accurate mexican yeah. women have a lot of pride also very accurate side note continue um <laughs> so yeah and and then that scene where so they fight their way in she ends up on stage at Ernesto's big showpiece and she, yeah. she, she's going to get taken down by the security guards, so she decides to just sing. This is La Llorona, yeah. which is a song specifically about Day of the Dead. Right? And, it's it's actually a traditional not a, and it's not an original piece for this film. No, it's a traditional which, yeah. song. Really haunting, beautiful lyrics. There's loads of good versions of this song. We had we heard a great version in Oaxaca at oh, lunch yeah, when yeah. a musician came a- along and I remember that. And yeah, Moni asked if if we could listen to yeah. La Llorona, mm-hmm. and he just started playing it for us, and it, it was perfect. And I think the love for that song has also been given a new life as well by people who have just seen Coco. Mm-hmm. But it's a traditional song. Yeah from that area about death and everything so it's the perfect one to remember me is a is a nice song and it it works well with that key plot points that it's associated right, with right right but la llorona i think has the power behind it it's, it's got oh. the authenticity yeah it, it, and it's such an old song and it carries you can tell like it's a very grand song and the way that it's uh, performed in the film is really awesome too but yeah, it's a historic thing, and I'm glad they kept it. I'm sure the temptation was there to have only all original songs, but I'm glad that they also infused that part of Mexican culture in there. It mm-hmm. sounds great. I think it's a, a really good version as well. After this whole confrontation where Ernesto de la Cruz is brought down and he is revealed to be this horrible person to everybody in the land of the dead, and everyone turns yeah, so against he- him. This kind of reminds me of uh, the ending of Gladiator as well, in a way. This sense that everyone in the world is watching what's going down between these main characters yes. in this big stadium. It's kind of similar to that, in a way. But it, it happens backstage. So they, they do this duet. He's playing that dangerous game, which is trying to fool everyone while being evil on the inside and, mm-hmm. and trying to, to kill people and yeah. you know, do, do all these terrible deeds yeah. in private and then go out in public and... Right. Again, it, it ties into all these teachings that are within the film. In this case, it's about hypocrisy. Bad guys always get their comeuppance. That's the yeah. moral of the story. So when he goes to kill Miguel and finally finish Hector off as well, the rest of the family are able to turn on the camera and it's projected to the whole audience. Yes. And, and I love the scene right after that where... He goes back on stage and he starts singing, remember yeah. me. And everyone just everyone know, turns him. on him. Yeah. It was hilarious. Everyone turns on him. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there, there is justice at the end. Yeah. Justice is served. And, but what we don't know is that during that whole sequence, Hector is actually, we see the effects of Coco now remembering him getting weak. And, and we can tell that he's about to go. And the sun is coming up at this point. So there's that, that's a deadline. The timing of this movie is done. So well with that sense of there's a deadline, if you don't make it by, yeah. by sunrise, right. you know, it's all going to be over. The day of the dead is just this one day of the year that these things can happen. It's a magical day. 
Right. Any time outside of this, none of this is possible. If Miguel gets left in the land of the dead, he's going to be stuck there. So yeah. it's like the clock is ticking, both for Hector and for Miguel. So there's yeah. double suspense at that point. Yeah, and, and we don't know if he succeeds because it cuts just as he's being transported back to the land of the living, you know, with Mama Imelda giving him the blessing. Mm-hmm. And so he goes back. But the fate of Hector is unknown at this point. Yeah, I think the idea is maybe it's Coco losing her memory entirely, but maybe it's Coco being alive. As long as she's still alive, then that's going to be enough for Hector, I think. I think. But yeah. it's it's not entirely clear where that, that is. No, There's definitely a sense that you can't really count on Coco being alive for very long. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I don't know if it's going to happen at sunrise specifically. Yeah, yeah, but you do get the sense like she's forgetting him and yeah. it's running out of time. And so when Miguel goes back, the stakes are still very high because yeah. we don't know. And we want him to get to Coco and for her to remember Hector. And you got to remember, in the land of the living, he's just been missing for the whole night. His whole family's been looking for oh, him. Yeah. He's just this missing child. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. And obviously everyone's been out, out searching for him. This child's gone missing. He comes running back, goes to Mama Coco's room, locks the door, <laughs> everyone's like yeah. banging on the door. <laughs> He's trying to shout to her, tell her, Yes. trying to get through to her. Yeah. And it's only when he realizes that music is the only thing that, uh, that will trigger her memory then his family has to have faith in him. Yeah. They have to let, even if they're not supportive of his wish to be a musician, they have to accept there's there's something he's trying to do that's really important. And she actually gets put in her place by his dad. At that point, yeah, I think. He finally steps up and, you know, tells her to let him express what he's trying to express. And then he does. And then we have the second tear jerker scene of the movie. Dude, when I saw that, my throat was like Mm -hmm. I had to give in I was not expecting it to be that emotional but there's just something and I think there's just something about an older person remembering someone from when they were young I mean there's something so beautiful Mm -hmm. about that especially if it's her father remembering the, the memory of her dad at such an old age I mean that's just a universal thing it doesn't matter what culture you're from it doesn't matter how you're brought up. The idea of this elderly person remembering, I don't know, there's just something about that. And I think that's something, that whole concept, even though I'm not that old, there's a part of me that can connect with that for some reason. Well, you know you have it in you uh, to, you know that as your life progresses, you will get to your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, your 90s, that you'll be carrying with you memories that become more and more precious with each year that passes because there's fewer and fewer people that have lived that long that have those kind of memories. And you see this today with people who are still remembering times pre-World War II, things like that. And they have memories of people who, if you're between the ages of 90 and 100, there's still a chance that you remember someone that was born in the 1800s. Right. That's right. Uh, that's the distance with which human memory can extend back into history. Right. No one around is is alive from that event. Someone of that age can say I remember meeting someone who was who was present at that event and then the, that generation eventually will will die and then another one will one day the memories of the 70s will be 
rare. Yeah. To us uh, today, it seems, oh, the 70s, it wasn't that long ago, I suppose, but right. soon it will be. Even the 90s and the 2010s where we are talking Jesus. from. Yeah. You know, it could be the distant past for some people. That whole idea of memories and in that very powerful moment, that tearjerker, and it's such a beautiful song too. And already having it being introduced in that flashback where we see the Hector when he was alive singing it to Little Coco mm-hmm. at the time and them having sharing that beautiful moment. So when it's that's a, that's great storytelling. When you plant something yeah. and you revisit it later, you oh, know, you're yeah. not just bringing it up and this out is of like this is a little girl's only memory of her father because mm-hmm. he dies yeah. when she is so young it's her only memory yeah. of him and it's luckily it's connected to a song there is a way to trigger i i suppose that's part of the the another of the morals of the story there is a way to trigger memories that you can things aren't entirely lost if you can find ways to to create those connections back to them right yeah and yeah the one of the most beautiful parts of the of the film is her starting to move her hands and then starting yeah. to speak and and seeing not only that reaction but seeing the way the family reacts la abuelita who's mm-hmm. coco's daughter how she reacts to that whole she's always been about no music mm-hmm. and then now she hears little miguel sing to coco or both of them singing yeah and then that how that transforms her life in that moment too so it's it's great for everybody it's a beautiful moment and it's a, a great way to end the film yeah and there's that sense that you're never old if you still remember something about being young with that much clarity i suppose it's like giving coco another chance at life before she dies she goes all the way back to the beginning it's it's maybe not even worth us trying to describe it's just a moment it's and a moment it works. yeah and it works it wakes her up because we've seen coco the entire film up to this point with her just not really saying much and or saying the wrong name mm-hmm. and then now we see her giving us a little inside look as to what she remembers when she says yeah you know mom and dad used to sing these beautiful songs she wakes up and that's the key point is she manages to tell the story which will keep Hector alive she managed to pass on the story right to the rest of the family it's all tied in a nice little bow uh but i must say like that's a great song but i don't think enough is said about the last song which is the song that wraps up the film Uh, so that's the following year the next day so it's the epilogue so a year later i guess the whole world finds out that ernesto de la cruz was not who he said he was because you know yeah there's that sign that where so they they found letters in coco's room oh yeah that's that's, right. that's how right. that was revealed right um so coco had some letters that revealed that yeah that hector had written the original songs miguel obviously knows the story and was able yeah to spread it as well so everyone's turned on ernesto yes. and now they're visiting hector's house as a site of pilgrimage Yes, justice in the land of the living as well. Yeah. So the epilogue is one year later and they're celebrating Day of There's the Dead. There's a new member of the family. Miguel, a new is, Miguel is teaching the the new member. A little girl, yeah. I don't think there was a name. So she must be about one. Yep. And he's teaching her about the ofrenda and all the yep. people who are on the ofrenda. So he's already, he's absorbed the tradition. He's passing on the stories. Yes. And 
obviously he believes in it now uh yeah having been there <laughs> and it's also revealed through the ofrenda that coco passed away in the last year yeah that's one of pixar's best tools is the tear jerkers that they can do just with visual motifs yeah um <laughs> so you just it's just showing all the people on the ofrenda and then you see coco's pictures up there and you know exactly what yeah. that means yeah and also you also mean because we've been to the land of the dead you mean you know that it means reunion mm -hmm. between so father essentially and yeah that's the thing it doesn't mean this this sad ending no anymore it means this potential new journey for coco and her family for yeah. her mother and her father and her to be united again in this land of the dead yeah again a celebration a reunion yeah. and the last bit of the film is them celebrating the Day of the Dead and Miguel in his mariachi suit and his sombrero, like, full-on singing with the whole family, supporting it. But not only do we see the family, but we see all the spirits celebrating with them. And the song is just so joyous and such a happy song, and it just wraps it up so beautifully. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had, I had goosebumps when I saw it, just, like, how happy I felt watching it. Because at that point, it all just fit perfectly. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was great. It's a, it's my favorite song. It's a very lively, beautiful song. And yeah, and like it, all of this stuff reminds me of things we saw in Oaxaca. There's music everywhere mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, yeah. There's festivities, a big, big celebration, community events in Oaxaca City itself. The processions and everyone's just joining in and yeah, it's uh, and it's a city of color too. There's yeah. just like color everywhere. There is a sense of community when we were at the Calenda, mm -hmm. you know, which is celebration on the streets and anyone can join. Everyone can yeah. just join in and drink some mezcal and, and just celebrate. There's no shame in just walking the street and celebrating. Yeah. And uh, in the lead up to Day of the Dead, you see all the papel picado going up. You see right. way more. Yeah. What can I say? I think we need some closing thoughts on Coco. Sure. Yeah. Because I think it, tr it treads the difficult line between being a film for Mexicans and being a film for Mexican-Americans and being a film for everybody. And it yes. does it perfectly. <clears throat> yeah. And um, again, just like the universal aspect of, like I said, memories and honoring those that come before you. That's the universal aspect. Yeah, I don't think it's necessary to have grown up with that. I think it speaks to your human nature to, mm -hmm. to resonate with that. And I think also the reason why it was successful in being universal was because it was so specific. It was like this weird sort of paradox. I think the mm -hmm. more specific they were, it's because the more it's, universal it yeah, became. Yeah, it's because it's rooted in authentic tradition exactly. as opposed to yeah. uh, just trying to invent some sort of mytholog new mythology for right for the 21st century. Instead, it's, no, let's, let's look at all of this heritage and where it comes from. Yeah, we're going to play around with it. Yeah, we're going to to make it our own. We're going to make it a Pixar thing, this unique universe. Right. It's not it's not the real world by any means, but it's no. it through that it can teach you all these different things and it can create all these thoughts in your mind and I've often thought about death as whatever your best interpretation of what death might be, that's probably the one you should believe in. Yeah. So it, it gives people this new concept of what death could be like. This idea of, well, maybe it's not just finality. Maybe 
maybe you can return back and there's going to be this crossover there's going to be some sort of continuation afterwards it's not in the same way as traditional christian sense in the end you all go to heaven and you stay there for eternity or go to hell or, or <laughs> hell for eternity instead it's more of this idea of no there's a sense of community you're you're still tied to the events of the world in some way after you're gone it's giving that contribution that mexican perspective so that other people can consider that in whatever they want to believe about the afterlife because you're free to believe whatever you want exactly yeah. and i think it kind of gives you that shift in perspective that option if you choose to believe it like you say you choose it for your own self and that's mm -hmm. what you believe in and i'm glad that they decided to be as authentic as possible i think if they were trying to please everybody they wouldn't have succeeded but because they were being very respectful and authentic it did work it became universal mm -hmm. so yeah no it was a great film loved it the script i think is exactly like the film and i do feel like it's just probably a polished version mm -hmm. because i don't think that's really the way they work no i agree know? i think so. i think it's just a summary again maybe for Oscars, things like that. Uh, just, yeah. just having a script that you can then refer to. Right. But it was clearly made in a different way. The Pixar method, acting things out, seeing where it goes. It's uh, such a great way yeah. to make films. It, it feels like it's a very open, very experimental, mm -hmm. let's get our, all our mistakes out of the way. It's often how comedy is written as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that that idea of play... Yeah. And can work very well for children's films and comedy in particular. Because because you need to have that that unexpectedness. Whereas the writer, when you think of ourselves as writers, like we're usually in quite a clear space when we're writing. We're yeah. we're trying to be level headed and it takes away from that idea of seeing all of the different possibilities out there. Yeah, you're almost like, you know, a one man band in a yeah. way because you're creating all these characters and it, they're all you to an extent. Like whenever I write now, I can't whenever I'm writing dialogue, I have to get up and act it out. I have to be mm -hmm. both people and I have to be very expressive and make it come alive. I think I had to shift that in my writing because if I just sit down and I'm just writing dialogue, it comes off really stiff. It's not alive. So and I think there's, that's such a great way because you're experimenting and you're trying things out differently. And one of the things that they also did is that they brought on uh, people to do the voices, but not as the official cast. They were just trying out different scenarios, all that stuff. I think they waited a few years until they finally cast the cast that made up mm -hmm. the film. And actually, Anthony Gonzalez, who's the actor, the little actor who plays Miguel, who does the voice, he was a temporary actor. And they actually, I saw the footage of when they surprised him with, you actually have the part because they liked him so much. And, you know, he was this really nice kid and he got the part. But I think that's really cool that they, they don't really, it's not a conventional way of making a film. They're, they don't, as long as they're having fun and they're experimenting and they're all about the story, then that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Final Verdict, I think it's a modern classic, probably Pixar's best movie so far. Although there's other strong contenders for that title. Yeah, there, there is. and But it's definitely up there for me too. But it's ultimately, I think, yeah, we'll see in the course of the next few years the impact this is probably going to have on society as a whole. Yeah. Especially here in, well, in California, 
where we're going to see people of Mexican descent kind of taking a lot more pride in in those customs yeah. and even families that maybe hadn't really maintained the Day of the Dead tradition, bringing it back into their, their traditions. And I think also traditional white families who, like, you know, let's say people that live in Wisconsin or Minnesota or whatever, who probably have this uh, perception of Mexican culture and kind of see it in, in a certain light because they're not surrounded by it so much. And to kind of get a taste of it, I think that will change perception from that perspective too, which That's I think is... I'll, which I'll is, ask next time I'm in <laughs> Next time I'm in Minnesota, Please I will do, ask. yeah. Just go around <laughs> collecting that data for me. But I do, yeah. I really do think, you know, because I definitely feel like from a lot of white families and, and there, there is this sort of, you know, Mexican culture being... Well, there's lots of mixed dated families. Or whatever. I mean, this is yeah. the... The interesting thing about this country, there's families with that are mixed as well. Yeah, and so you know, when you when you have a mixed family, you you get to pick different cultural traditions that you want to include for the future. Sure, you're yeah. not you're not tied to one culture. You can pick the best of both. Right, <laughs> make a buffet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I love this movie, and thank you for listening. Thank you all for listening. If you've made it this far, then I hope you had a great time listening to this episode. Please do recommend us to any of your friends who you think might be interested. As the more listeners we have, the easier it will be to keep doing this. Do check out the 21strrewrite.com. That is spelt with a two and a one, the 21strrewrite.com. And subscribe to us using the RSS feed in your favorite podcast app.